Romans chapter number 7. We'll be looking this evening at verses 7 through verse number 11. Romans 7, 7 through 11. If you remember last week, we looked at an analogy that Paul had given in respects to the law. And Paul, again, does something that is not uncommon to the Apostle Paul. He gives that analogy, he gives that argument, and then he explains himself. We've seen that multiple times throughout chapter number 6 and now into chapter number 7. If you remember chapter number 6, In verse number 1, Paul said, What shall we then say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. So he's explained justification. And he says, After explaining justification, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. By no means. No. That was Paul's answer. Again, in verse number 15, he says, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? God forbid. So he said, you understand your justification, but that doesn't mean you can do whatever you want to because you have been changed. You've been raised to walk in newness of life. It says in verse number 15, if we're not under sin, but we're under grace, then we're not under the law, right? What does he say there? He says, "We what then shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? So he's saying, you're not under the law anymore. You're not bound by the law. So should you be able to do whatever you want? And again, he makes the same statement. God forbid. By no means. This isn't the case. It says in verse 16, You know not that to whom ye yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey. Basically what Paul was doing, he's again explaining himself. He says you're not under the law, you're under grace. But that again doesn't mean that you're sinning because you're not bound by that master anymore. And that was what we were looking at in chapter number 6 there, that sin had been our master. And because we're not under that master anymore, we're not bound to go back into those fields of sin, so to speak. Is that not what was mentioned this morning? That after we've been quickened, we're not bound to that life anymore. But if we go back, we go back by choice. We go back because... Our, our, we're letting that, old, that, that body, that, what Paul says, the body of death, we're letting that body dictate what we're doing instead of allowing that newness of life, that raised man to dictate what we're doing. So we're carrying around that, that body of sin with us. And that's what Paul is aiming toward when he gets into chapter number 7. Again, as we mentioned last week, chapter number 7 is is literally the representation of the normal Christian life. But what Paul does in these first 11 verses, again, as we mentioned last week, is he is he's going to explain himself. He's going to clarify some things before he shows what this looks like played out in his own life. Because we know from verses 12 to the end of the chapter, Paul starts to explain something that would, that would to us, look odd. Because we would look at Apostle Paul and we would say, well, he's got to be the best Christian that ever lived. 
So obviously he didn't have any problems with anything. He didn't have any difficulties with sin. He didn't have any, any issues with anything else. But Paul explains to the Roman church that they were on the same road. They were both heading to their glorification. And just because God had decided to use Paul in a different way than he would use the people that he was writing to, it did not mean that they didn't look the same. It's one of the things even that Brother Ricky had mentioned this morning about people getting to heaven and saying they're going to talk to the Apostle Paul. When we get there, we're going to realize that we are the exact same. There's not going to be any big people in heaven and any little people in heaven. There are going to be a group of people that are standing before the throne of the Lamb saying, Worthy is the Lamb. That's all, that's all of the people. They're all on the same plane. Just as in salvation, there is no, in a sense, there is no sinners that God took a lot of blood to forgive and some sinners that God took just a little bit to forgive. They were the same. The, the old song, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And the same is going to be true when we get to our eternal home. The ground is going to be level at the foot of the throne because there's one purpose, and that's going to be in worship and glorify and magnify the God of heaven. So Paul's explaining these things to us in chapter number 7. And again, last week we saw some analogies about marriage that Paul uses to explain how the law functioned in our life and that in order for us to come out from under the law and to be put in Christ, we had to die. And that again, it points us back to the fact that the old man, the old us, the sinful us is dead. That that part of us is gone. And if it weren't, we would still be under the law. And that's, that's the case that Paul is making here in chapter number 7. He's being very clear about the analogies that he's using. But again, in verse number 7, what we'll be looking at tonight, Paul makes sure to explain himself. So after saying, don't go back to trying to put yourself in a relationship with the law, don't allow the law to drive your spiritual life. Don't go trying to hook yourself back up and trying to please God in that way again, just like you did before you were saved. Don't do that, but he's going to clarify himself and explain that the law isn't the problem. Ultimately, we're the problem. And he says that in verse number 7. He says, what shall we then say? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. Verse number 8. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. And the commandment, which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin, taking an occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. What Paul is explained to us again is that the law is not the problem. 
And we're just going to walk down through this and see what Paul has said. Paul is just going to use three different things here. He's going to first make this exclamation that the law is not a sin. He's going to continue and exonerate, so to speak, the law. And then he's going to explain the purpose of the law. So Paul takes those three steps in these verses and we're going to see that the law is not the problem and see why God gave the law in the first place. So in verse number 7, what shall we then what shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Again, Paul is taking this 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 part of this scripture. He's taking this opportunity to point us back to what he just said. He told us that the law had us bound. The law could not get us where we needed to go. The law could not reconcile us with God. The law was there to point us to the God that was holy, but it could not get us in back in right relationship with that God. Again, it literally acted as an alarm clock. It just woke us up to who we were and to who God was. But that alarm clock could not get us up. I deal with that every morning. The, my alarm clock wakes me up at 6.45 every morning. But it does not get me up at 6.45 every morning. Most mornings, it doesn't even get me up by 7. And then I'm running late, and then my whole day's off, and then... It all goes downhill from there, but that was what the law was doing. It was waking us up to who we were, but it did not get us up out of that bed of sin, so to speak. So again, the law is not a sin, but it was there to point us to who we were. He said, nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known that known lust, except the law had said, "Thou shalt not covet." Basically, what Paul is is explaining to us in in a way that we can kind of illustrate what Paul is saying the law accomplished in his life would be similar to an X-ray. If we go to the doctor's office and our leg has been just killing us since we got into a car wreck, can't walk on it or anything. We go into the doctor's office, they take us back, roll us back into the radiology department, they lay us on the table, put the stuff on us, you know, the, the thick whatever it is that they put on you. They walk out, they flip a switch, come back in, they show you an x-ray of what your, your bone looks like, that you have a crack in your bone. Or even the last time that I remember seeing an x-ray was with Rowan. Rowan had swallowed a little string of magnets. And they took him back in the x-ray and they saw where the magnets were at. And that's basically what Paul is saying the law did. In both of those cases, whether we have a broken leg or we have magnets lodged in our esophagus, it's not the x-ray that is the problem. It's simply pointing out the problem. And in, in, in that sense and in that same way, the law was not the problem to us. It was pointing out our problem. And Paul begins to exonerate the law or explain what's going on from that point. He said, For I had not known lust, except the law had said, 
thou shalt not covet. Paul lived in ignorance up to, the, up to that point. Before he knew the law, Paul said, I did not know that lust was a sin. I did not know that those sinful desires were even wrong. I think all of us can know and all of us understand and all of us have that moral, moral part of us that, that would see and say that murder is wrong or that lying, the act of lying is wrong. Or that theft is wrong. We can all understand that those things are wrong because that's built into us. No matter what culture you go into, no matter what part of the world you go into, whether they've been taught the scriptures from the time they were children or whether they were hearing it for the first time, they all understood that there are certain moral aspects of the law that are sinful. Even even if you if you read accounts of old pirate ships they had specific rules that even they lived by people who would have been considered barbaric had a specific set of rules that you didn't steal from each other you didn't kill each other there were specific things that even they had put in place and said these are right and wrong people who seemingly would have been considered lawless still had a right and a wrong and that's what Paul's saying he's saying even even himself when he was barbaric so to speak before he had sat at the feet of Gamaliel before he had been taught the law as a child he was that way he still understood that there was a right and there was a wrong but the law came in and he says it showed him that even the desires that he had were sinful it, it, it exemplified the law it, 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 it magnified what the law was that's what Christ did on the Sermon of the Mount he said, you have heard that if you commit adultery, it's a sin. But I say, if you look upon a woman with lust, you've committed adultery in, her, in your heart. He said, you've heard in the law that murder is a sin. But I say, if you hate your brother without cause, you're guilty of murder. Even Christ was explaining that the law in its, in its glory, so to speak, in its magnification... The law shows us how sinful we really are. And that's what Paul is saying here. He said, I did not even know lust was sinful except the law had said thou should not covet. Even, even for, for and I, I know I've probably used this analogy, beat this analogy like a dead horse, but even if we go back to the speed limit signs, as far as God is concerned, Moral law says if you don't exceed 35 miles an hour in town, then you're fine. But God's law says if you desire to exceed 35 miles an hour in town, then it's sinful. As far as God is concerned, we're getting pulled over if we even want to go faster than what he said. And that's what the law is doing in Paul's life. And that's what he's saying. He's saying the law was there for a purpose... And it was to strap me down so much that I could see that I could never make it myself. He says, "Thou." He said, "The law came. He didn't even know lust was a problem." He said, "But the law said, thou should not covet." In verse number eight, he says, "But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence." 
for without the law, sin was dead. And I want to take a second and look over here in the other section that we had read right after that. He mentions taking an occasion. And then in verse number 11, he uses that same word again. He says, for sin taking an occasion by the commandment deceived me. So we see there sin took occasion by the commandment. And here sin took an occasion by the commandment and wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. Sin takes an occasion twice in this section of scripture. And if we were to look at that word occasion, it is, it is it's setting up a base in military terms. And Paul is used some military terms in here. He talks about the wages of sin being death. That was a military term. But this word occasion, he's using that same thought process. He's saying what sin did. He's saying sin taking an occasion by the commandment did something in his life. Something happened by that. What sin had done is it had come in, it had rolled its tanks up into the law, and it had set up a base in the law. Sin was taking the high ground of the law, and it was taking over. That's what sin was doing. It took an occasion. It built a base in the commandment. And what do we understand that the commandment does? Again, this is, this is the, the few aspects, the few different lenses that Paul's looking at this through. Sin shows us who we are. It shows us our desires. But again, using a lame illustration, if we see a sign that says, don't touch, the paint is wet, we automatically go up to see if the paint is really wet. If you see a button that says, do not push, Nine out of ten people are going to go up and push the button because that's what the law does. It not only shows us the, the extent of our sin, but it even pushes us to sin. It, see, it pushes us to see how far we can get away with. And that's what he says the law did. Or he, said, or he says that sin did. He said sin literally took over a base in the law. The base itself wasn't sinful. The law itself wasn't sinful, but sin took an occasion. It took the chance. It took the, the opportunity to set up inside the law to kill. And again, looking back across the sections of scriptures that we've looked at up to this point, we see sin reigning unto death. Sin reigned unto death was found set up in the fortifications of the law. That's how bound we were in our nature. That's how bound we were in our sinfulness. It wasn't just the master of sin that we were trying to get up under, but it was the fortifications of the law that we had to get around. Christ even says that he came to take out the wall of partition between us and God. That wall of partition... That's actually in the book of uh, Colossians, if I'm not mistaken, Colossians chapter number 3. He talks about taking our sins out of the way and then taking the wall of partition that was between us and God. That's what Christ did. He not only took our sin out of the way, he took over from sin, but he took down the fortification, the walls that the law had put up in between us and God. That's, that's how, that's, that's, it, it's not just God saving us from sin and not just God saving us from himself, but God, God fulfilling the righteousness that it took to have fellowship with him. We, we see, sometimes we see this as a, as a, in a, in a one sense, in one view, when 
what Christ did, the life that he lived and the death that he died, really had a lot greater magnitude than we can even realize. There were so many aspects that Christ fulfilled that we tend to miss at times. Christ didn't just die for our sin. He lived for our righteousness. And he was resurrected to bring us up with him. And all of these things can be found here in these analogies that Paul is using. Paul's saying that it's not the law that was the sin, but that sin had took an opportunity to take the law and use it as the high ground to kill us from. That was the reign of sin. Said that sin wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. That word concupiscence is a specific word that means desire. It means evil desire. He's saying that not only did the law come in and point out to me that my desires were sinful, but sin took its armies up into the law and wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. He said, so the law came in and showed me that lust was wrong. And then sin came up into the law and made that lust worse. That was what we saw sin doing in this specific section of scripture. He said, for without the law, sin was dead. And Paul uses this word dead also a few times in this section of scripture. But what he means when he says dead, the, the word that he actually uses for dead here is inactive. He's not saying that sin did not exist in us because we understand that we have a sinful nature. Paul doesn't, Paul doesn't take what he says in Romans and what he says in Ephesians and what he says in Colossians and what he says to Timothy and what he says to Titus and what Peter has written and what James has written these men aren't taking their verses of Scripture and pitting them against each other. God, God is not confused when He inspired the Scripture. We're the ones who get confused. We're the ones who don't understand the Scriptures because we try and conflate them in the directions that we want them to go. But if we allow the scripture to say what they're saying, we can understand what God is conveying to us. Again, he's not, he's not saying that sin didn't exist. Because what we could do with this verse is say, well, it said that the sin was dead here without the law. But God gave the law. So God's the one who made sin alive. So God's the one who made sin. That's what we would do in our minds. That's, what, that's, that's the, the, the direction that we would head because we don't allow Scripture to speak for itself. And we would take what Paul says here and say, well, he can't really mean this because he said this over here. And then we start pitting verses against each other and say, well, Paul said this here, so I believe this. And you say Paul said this over here, so you can believe that. And then we start attacking each other with the same word that God gave and inspired the whole thing. Again, I didn't mean to run off on that, but what Paul is doing is he's being, he's being specific. He's not changing his narrative. He's not saying anything different than he said from the beginning. But he's pointing out to us, he's explaining that the law was the one who brought sin to life. Again, not that we did not have sin in our life, but it brought sin to light. It made sin more powerful. Again, if you use that analogy of an x-ray, it's not that your leg wasn't broken. You just didn't know it was broken. 
and you didn't know the extent that it was broken. And that's what the law has done. Paul's saying that it was almost inactive. You didn't have the knowledge that your leg was broken, and you didn't have the knowledge of the extent that it was broken, and you didn't have the ability to even fix it. But the law brought that to bear. The law brought that to light. Verse number 9, For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. Again, Paul is using these words here in this verse, and he's being specific about what he's saying. Paul's not speaking of his spiritual state. Paul's not speaking of his physical state. Paul is explaining the magnitude of sin. He says, for I was alive once without the law. I was alive without the law once. He said there was a point in time in my life that I didn't have the law. I was alive and I didn't have the law. But when the commandment came, or the law came, sin revived and I died. Again, Paul is talking about that same exact thing that he was talking about in the verses previous to this. Paul's not saying that he was dead in his nature or that he was alive in his nature. Paul is pointing out the, the, the understanding of sin. He was alive without the law. The commandment came. Sin revived and he died. Basically, he's saying when the law came in, sin became more powerful and where I thought that I could overcome sin at one point in time, I realized that I could not. Sin came in and took over. Sin completely conquered who I was. That's what he means when he says that sin revived. Sin became more powerful. Sin gained its, its complete consciousness in my life and took over. I died. I couldn't do anything about it. In reality, Paul, what he is saying is that he was dead in sin before the law, but he did not realize the extent of his deadness until after the law came into light. Verse number 10, he goes on to continue to explain this. And the commandment, which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. He's saying... And we, we looked at this a little bit, and I, I feel like most of what Paul's saying here is, is really just tying into and explaining the things and pointing us back to some of the stuff that he said in chapter number 5 and chapter number 6. He said, The commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. So he said, What God had created unto life, to me, killed me. What God had meant for good, to me, it did bad things to me because of what sin was in me. Paul is pointing us back to inside ourselves. We have to understand that it was us who was the problem. It was the sin in us that was the issue. The law, and this is, Paul is, is, is in essence, Paul is ending his exoneration of law. He's, he's coming to this, chapter, to this verse in Scripture, to verse number 10, and showing us that the law wasn't sinful. Because that's the statement that he made in verse number 7. He said, the law wasn't sin, but it awoken sin in me. Verse number 9, he was alive, and then he died. Sin was awoken, and he died. But before sin was awoken, he didn't realize that he was dead. 
the commandment which was ordained to life I found to be unto death. He's saying that the law came in. God created the law. And if we, if we look back even to chapter number 3 and chapter number 4, God created the law to be a good thing. All of the laws that he gave to the children of Israel were not bad things. It was, not, it was not a bad thing that God had given them the commandment to put a wall around their house so nobody fell and died. It was not a bad thing that God said, Thou shalt not murder. It was not a bad thing that God said, Thou shalt not commit adultery. These weren't bad things. All of this was ordained to life. God was saying, This is who I am, this is my standard. And if we understand God's standard and we understand who God is, we can understand that the greatest purpose that we can have in life is to be and live like God has commanded us to live. God doesn't do any of these things for our, our harm, but he knows these are the best things for us. Even, even with my children, I don't, there's things that I don't sit there and think, well, I'm going to not let them do this because I'm just mean like that. I'm going to not let them go out and play in the road because I'm just a horrible father and I want them to have a horrible life. I'm going to not let them play in the road because I know that's life unto them. For them, that from their perspective, they may see it as a bad thing. And from our perspective, we may see the law as a bad thing, as, as confining us, but we only see that because of the sin in us. God had put this in place in such a way that it enacted the very thing that he wanted it to enact, even in light of our sinfulness. God understood that we had fallen short of the law. That's what sin, sin means, to miss the mark, to cross the line. Paul, God understood that we had done that, and he put the mark, he put the line in the sand specifically so that it would point us to Christ. He said it was ordained to life. But in his sinfulness, he found it to be unto death. Paul's saying, because of me, the law was harmful. And again, this is pointing us back to what Paul had mentioned in those first six verses of the book of or of this chapter. Paul had mentioned in those first six verses that the law was keeping us from doing what we were supposed to do. We had to die to the law and be raised in Christ. But he's explaining to us here that it wasn't the law's fault. It was our fault. That's the reason that God didn't come in and kill the law so that we would be unbound from the law. God had to come in and kill our sinful nature. That's what had to be done. And that's what Paul wants us to understand. It's not the law that's wrong. It's us. Outside of Christ, we are wrong. The law came in to show us how wrong we were. That was, that was it. It came in to show us how wrong we were. And it came in, if we rejected Christ, to let us do whatever we wanted. It came in to even push us into whatever we wanted to do. He said, okay, if you want to miss, if you want to go against the standard of God, here's where the lines are. Have at it. 
And that's what we see, and we saw, and again, that's why I made mention of Paul tying some of this back into what he's previously said. If we, could, if we think back all the way to chapter number 1, Paul starts to write all of these things that people are doing, how it's getting worse and worse and worse and worse, and in their life, sin's getting worse and worse and worse and worse, and they get to the point where they're even saying that there isn't a God and they're worshiping the creature like he's the creator. We saw all of these things. Paul, again, over and over says they're giving up. They're giving up. They're giving over to these things. And that's what he's saying here. He's saying that the law that God had given, it was meant to be a good thing. And in the life of the believer, it is a good thing because it showed us how wrong we were. It was a good thing for us because it showed us that we could never get to God. In the life of an unbeliever, it serves the purpose as well because it says, all right, if you don't want God, if you want to deny God in your heart, here's where the boundaries are. Here's where you're going to live outside of. Paul says, verse number 10, the commandment which was ordained to life I found to be unto death. For Paul, because of the gospel, he said, I had to count myself as dead because of the law. Instead of the law pushing Paul to sin even more in light of the gospel, and that's what the law will do because sin has taken up base in the law, it pushes us out into more sinfulness. It reigns over us and pushes us farther and farther and farther into more sinfulness and ultimately into death. That's what Paul tells us. Sin's reign was unto death. But in the gospel, in light of the gospel, we find the law pushing us into death to what we can do. So we have sin pushing us to actual physical and spiritual death. But the law itself is accomplishing in the gospel what he meant for it to accomplish because it kills us right then. And Paul says that in verse number 11. For sin taking an occasion by the commandment deceived me and by it slew me. Again, we see that same picture that Paul has painted for us of taking over, taking up residence, setting up a military base in the law deceiving him and slaying him. That's what sin was doing. It was it was slaying Paul. But again, I, I, I want to make sure that I'm being clear on on the line that Paul is drawing. Paul isn't looking at the law in a bad light. In this section of scripture, he is explaining the purpose of the law. And that's even what the, the, the title of this section was called. It was called the reason that God gave the law. God gave the law for that, for that threefold purpose. There, were, there, were, there was a threefold reason that God gave us the law. Number one, it was so that we saw a standard of who God was. Number two is so we see the standard that we can never meet. And number three, it's so we have the fellowship with God and who he is. That's, that's in essence the three purposes that God gives for the law. And Paul explains all three of those purposes, or at least two of them very clearly in this section of scripture. 
God gave the law in our sinful condition ultimately to point us back to Him. God allowed the law to be the ruler, to be the the fortification in our life so that we can understand, understand our sinfulness. If we understood our sinfulness and we understood the law that God had, His standard to meet, then we could understand that we could never do it ourselves. And that's what Paul, that, that's his, his whole point in what he's saying in this section of Scripture. He's saying, look, you had to die to sin. You were bound by the law. The law could not get you where you wanted to go. The law could, well, I guess in, in our sense, the law could not get us what we were rejecting. But when the gospel came in, it showed us where we needed to go and it showed that we couldn't get there by the law. Paul says not only did it show you that you couldn't get there, but in this section of Scripture, it wasn't the law's fault. It was your fault because the law pointed out to you how bad you really were and how far away from God you really are. But that is the light that we have to see the gospel in. And that's Paul's point in all of this isn't to make some kind of philosophical statement. It isn't trying to say, well, when the law, if you don't know the law, then you're not really, you're not really dead to your sin. That's not what Paul is saying. If we take what he's saying in context, if we take what he's saying in light of what he has just said, we can understand the point that God put the law not there to bind us so we could never make it to him, but to show us that we could only make it through him. And that's what he's going to do. He, he set up this whole premise to explain to us our sanctification. And that's the other thing that we have to keep in mind. We, we, we have the tendency, at least I do, to take verses out of Scripture and run and make them, make, thing, make them say things that they don't really mean. Paul's in this section of Scripture. Paul is talking about sanctification. He's already talked about our salvation. He's already told us how we're justified before God. He's already showed us the grace that came in and overwhelmed everything. He's already explained to us that we're free from the master of sin and we're living unto new life. That we couldn't get there by the law. We had to get there through Christ. We had to die to our old man who was bound by the law. And we had to be risen in Christ so we could live a life through Christ. But what we don't need to miss in this section of Scripture, and this is the gist of what Paul is saying. He's saying, in the same way that I told you that you couldn't get to God through the law, don't try to get to God through the law. Because trying to get to God through the law only makes your sin worse. And in in the realm of sanctification, what Paul is saying here is the same exact thing that he said to us in chapter number 6. And in chapter number 5. And in chapter number 4. And in chapter number 3. Paul is saying this. You could not get to God by yourself. You couldn't. The law is showing you that you cannot get to God by yourself. What did God do? The grace of God stepped in. The mercy of God took over. 
God allowed you to be put into Christ. You died with Christ. You were raised again in Christ. And you're walking in newness of life. He's explained to us in chapter number 7 that the law is there not allowing us to do what God needed us to do. In terms, and again, we have to understand this is in terms of our sanctification. This is true in our justification as well, but Paul is speaking in terms of that person who has been saved. Paul isn't, he's not talking about a person who is unsaved here. He's not talking to people who would be unsaved in the scheme of the events that are taking place throughout the book of Romans. We've passed the justification. We've passed that stage. Chapter number 4 and chapter number 5 were extremely clear that we are justified through faith by grace. There's, we didn't do it ourselves. God brought everything for us to come to him. So why would we be using the law to try and stay on the path to God? And that's what, that's, in essence, that's, that's Paul's whole thought process here in chapter 7. And he's going to explain how this plays out through the rest of the chapter. But we need to understand, in terms of our sanctification, if we have trusted Christ for our salvation, the Bible tells us that we are, at that point, justified before God. We have justification. God sees us like he sees Christ. It didn't take the law. It took Christ. And our sanctification... It's not taking the law, it's taking Christ. And that's the life that Paul is warning us to live in. He's he's pointing us back to, again, if we try and live by the law in light of our sanctification, we're going to end up in the same place that we were in our justification. If we think of, if we look at it practically, there is a reason, and I'm not, I'm not going to name any names because you have names go through your head. There is a reason that very, very legalistic sects of Christianity seem to always be falling back into sin. There was a man in Indiana. He led one of the biggest independent, fundamental Baptist churches in America. He's in jail today. Because he was having a relationship with an underage girl across state lines. He's in jail for 12 years. This was a man who was part of a very legalistic sect of Christianity. It was, it was, it was the same one who would have taught you on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. If you don't wear this then you're not right with God. And if you don't come and do this, then you're not right with God. And if you don't act this way, then you're not right with God. He took the law and he was saying, this is how you get closer to God. This is how you become like Christ. This is what you're going to do if you want to be in the will of God, if you want to be accepting before God, if you want God to be pleased with your life, this is how you live. He was taking the law and using the law as the standard for the Christian life. And what did that do for him specifically? Where did he end up? He ended up in prison because of sin. 
And that's what Paul wants us to understand. If in our sanctified Christian life, in our walk from day to day, if we try and measure people up by the law, it's only going to bring bad things into our life. He was trying to measure his Christian life. He was trying to measure his closeness to God. He was trying to measure his success as a Christian by the law. And that law in his life, in his sanctification, allowed sin to come and take over a base, take over militarily, and have its way with him. Now, granted, he chose to do what he did, but he set up in his life the base for sin to take over because he would not allow the gospel to be enough. And that's the danger that we run into as Christians. That we take the law of God instead of seeing it as what Christ has accomplished for us, we take the law of God and we make it the standard of how much of a Christian that you are. Instead of seeing that Christ was Christ enough for all, we take what Paul is telling us not to do, we take that same law and we measure ourselves and other people by it. What, what kind of strife does that cause in the body of Christ? And he gets to this in chapter 13 and chapter 14. Paul comes right back to what he's explaining here. And he, he actually takes these Roman people to task just a little bit and saying, this is why I said what I said in chapter number 7. What kind of strife does it cause when we come into the body of Christ, whether it be into our local assembly or into the assembly of other believers or other people that we know? We come to that with the measuring stick and say, well, I'm measuring up to right here, and they're not measuring up to right here, so I'm obviously a better Christian than they are. Or they're measuring up to right here, and I'm measuring down to right here. I'm never going to be able to. I'm just never going to be able to make it to, to the level that they are. They're such just such a great man or woman of God. I'm just. I just. I, I strive to be as great as they are. But Paul says you're missing the point. You're doing the exact same thing that I've told you not to do in terms of salvation and your sanctification. You're doing the exact same thing that you're telling other people they're wrong for before salvation, after salvation. Paul wants them to understand that Christ was enough. It was the faith in Christ that brought justification. It was the faith in Christ that brought salvation. It was the faith in Christ that placed them into Christ. And that same faith in Christ will bring them to God. It's going to, the gospel brings us all the way home. It doesn't just pull us out and show us the path. It takes us all the way there. We, we don't need a road map to show us how bad we are. Because we have a person that was enough. We have a whole Bible that shows us the person that was good enough that we don't have to look at how bad we have been. We don't have to look at where we're missing it. 
We don't have to look at where we're failing. We don't even have to look at where we think we're succeeding because the success that Christ accomplished in his life and in his death and in his resurrection is enough. We take we're taking if if we do what Paul says here in chapter number seven, if we if we are looking at the law in this same aspect, we are taking shots at Christ after salvation. We're saying Christ was enough to get us saved, but he's not enough for the rest of our life. We're pushing Christ out of the equation of the Christian life. We're the word Christian. They were called Christians at Antioch because they were acting like Christ didn't say that they were called Christians because they were acting like the law. They were acting like Christ. We are taking Christ out of our own Christianity when we try and measure up to that old, to that old spouse that we looked at last week. But Paul's clear. It's not the spouse that was the problem. It's not the law that's the problem. It's us. We're the problem. But Christ is the solution. We're always going to be the bad part of the equation. But that's the reason that God in his mercy has taken us out of Adam and placed us in Christ. Because Christ is enough. And that's, that is the whole reason. Paul Paul literally takes the first 11 chapters of Romans. There's other aspects that he explains. There's other little details that he, he, he kind of takes and magnifies. But Paul takes the first 11 chapters and he says Christ was enough. He was enough to get you saved. He's enough to keep you saved. He's going to be enough to get you all the way to heaven. And he's going to keep you there forever. And you can't get away. And you can't do enough to get out of it. Because he's promised that everything in your life is going to be for good to get you to where he said he was going to take you. It's like me having a conversation with my kids and me explaining to them for, for three quarters of the conversation one thing and they miss the point. And that's what we do. We miss the point. We take little sections. We take little verses here out of Romans and little verses over here out of Romans and little verses back here out of Romans and we try and shape our own theology and make what we say to be the right thing. When Paul is taking an entire book to point us to Christ. And if we do nothing else, if we don't understand anything else from this section of Scripture, it's that Christ is enough. The law is only going, if, if we try and use the law, it's only going to bring us harm. Because we do not have the ability to set up our own military base in the law. And we don't. We can't, Paul, again, Paul uses that word, taking an occasion by the commandment. We are sinful and cannot take an occasion by the commandment to do anything. We can't. We, we can't amass a military of our own righteousness to drive up into the law and set up base. We can't do it. But Christ did. Christ went up into the law, and what does he say he did? He fulfilled the entire thing. 
if we want to see ourselves as taking an occasion to the law, we're just echoes of Christ's victory. We're not trying to take victory and, and amass some kind of success in Christendom. It's not why we're here. Christ came and he fulfilled the entire law. We are in Christ and we're just simply echoing that fulfillment. We're not driving tanks around the fortification of the law, shooting down other Christians who aren't made it as far as we have. All that we should be doing is having a parade around the law saying Christ fulfilled it all. That's that's where we end. That's where we end up in this section of Scripture. Paul explains practically throughout the rest of this chapter, and we're going to get into that throughout the next couple of weeks, that if we continue to look at it in light of the law, we're going to see ourselves in a very, very bad light. Paul ends out this, and not, not to get into that, Paul ends out this, this chapter, he says, Oh, wretched man that I am. That's what Paul sees. When he continues to look at himself in light of the law, he sees, oh, wretched man that I am. Who's he looking at? Is that what he's supposed to be looking at? And that's what Paul is, what Paul's taking this section of scripture. He's saying, if you you want to look at yourself in light of the law, then have at it. But I'm just going to be over here looking at myself in light of Christ. That's how I'm going to live. I'm going to live in rest of Christ. I'm going to live, understand that he completed everything for me. If you want to labor, if you want to carry that heavy yoke, if you want to end up in sin over and over and over and over and over again, by all means. But I warned you. Paul says if you want want to be teaching that this is the way that you become a successful Christian and you want to spend 12 years in prison, I told you so. It's not the law. It's you. That's, that's his, whole, his whole point. The law is showing you who you are. The law is exemplifying who you are. And if you want to have, quote unquote, success in your Christian life, then you're going to have to stop trying and measuring up. You're going to stop trying. You can't live it. You can't do it yourself. If you want to have success, and I use that again, air quote success in Christian life, quit trying. Stop. Because it's already been done for you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for a chance to be again in your house. Thank you for a chance to be 